0: because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.
1: Hey, it's Kara. We recorded this interview with Mark Cuban just a few hours before it was announced that he was joining President Trump's advisory panel to reopen the economy. He might not have known he was joining it, so I give him and out for not telling us at the time. Although we didn't talk about the panel specifically, I did ask Mark about how Trump is handling the coronavirus crisis. That's coming up later in the show, enjoy. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who literally did not notice that there are no sports anymore. But in my spare time, I'm just a reporter and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about power, change, and the people you need to know. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today, in the red chair, I am thrilled to have Mark Cuban, one of my favorite internet people, don't tell him. He's a serial (laughs) entrepreneur and investor who's best known as one of the sharks on ABC's Shark Tank and the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, which, according to my notes, is a basketball team. One of Mark's (laughs) first companies, Broadcast.com, which I covered uh, when it happened, sold to Yahoo in 1999 for $5.6 billion, and those were the days. And if that weren't enough, he's been volunteering to talk to senators about the coronavirus relief. Mark, welcome to Recode Decode.
2: Thanks for having me, Kara.
1: So so much you're doing. I've got so many millions of questions. Uh, there's, I had I asked people, and of course, everyone wants to know what you think of a lot of things. But let's start with the coronavirus relief. Um, you had tweeted that you didn't, agree, you had talked about the deal itself and what was happening. Right. And you said, um, especially around Boeing, you were talking about Boeing, which wants some relief and other things. Talk a little bit about how you look at the stimulus package. And I want to get into innovation and business. We want to talk about sure. sports, all kinds sure. of stuff. So you know, go ahead.
2: It just depends on what element, right? So, in terms of individuals, I think getting the $1,200 to everybody is important. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good starting point. It obviously took too long. Um, but you know, for anything, any type of startup, which is effectively was, there's going to be issues. I think the PPP is good in principle, but it's not going to be enough. I think the bailouts This is the
1: Paycheck. The, this is the Paycheck's protection.
2: Yeah, the Paycheck's protection plan. Um, and in terms of dealing with the bigger companies, like you mentioned, whether they're loans or bailouts, I think that's a different beast. And you had mentioned what I'd said about Boeing, I think for major corporations, particularly public companies, if they're gonna get taxpayer money, the taxpayers deserve something in return. Right. This, so should what, not ju- this should not be a grant.
1: So talk about what you wanted to do. What were, you were saying, I'd volunteer to, what, what has been done? It's sort of, they're bailouts is what they are.
2: Well, we don't know yet, right? So right. according to the law itself, they're, they're, it's not supposed to be a bailout. They're supposed to ask for equity or some sort of return. They've talked about some, some templates, but the best part is by law, they have to be transparent and publish what the deals were. And mm-hmm. there's an IG type um, committee that's supposed to review them, but supposed we haven't to. seen supposed to right. And right. we haven't seen the first one yet. But if they're doing their job, and what I volunteered to do was to help them, um, then they should be asking for equity. Look, Warren Buffett created the template when he helped out Goldman Sachs and he helped out Bank of America. This I think is during was.
1: the crisis, the bank. Yeah, of the
2: during, yeah, yeah. And so he he bought uh, preferred shares of stock, which paid a dividend, plus he asked for warrants. And when the market recovered and those stocks went up, he made a killing. All right, explain and, what
1: that are to the to people. Amer- American people are shareholders, essentially, of these right. companies. Right,
2: and so we're using taxpayer money. We would give the money to whichever company. And in exchange for that money, we would ask for preferred stock, hopefully. And that preferred stock would probably pay us a dividend, meaning 6%, 7%. So if we paid to them $10 billion and the preferred its lower interest rates now was 3%, then we're going to earn that every year. And then on top of that, we would ask for warrants at a higher price. So if the stock was selling at 10, we might ask for warrants at 15 and a lot of them. So if the public stock price ever went beyond 15, the American taxpayers would earn a return. Right. And so that so if things happen, you know, the whole idea is to make this company whole and to help that company become profitable again and do well, reward their employees, but this gives the American taxpayer a chance to make some money back.
1: So what if their argument is that you should just give it to us and bail us out? And they don't never want to use the term bailout, but why not just help them just in that way? Because why?
2: Why would we? I mean, (laughs) you know, it's our taxpayer money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the argument is it's not their fault that the coronavirus, you know, impacted their business so badly. But it's nobody's fault. It's not the taxpayer's fault either. Mm -hmm. And it's not that we don't want to help them, but we want to make it a, you know, a respectable deal, a fair deal. Um, that, that taxpayer money is precious right now. There's, mm-hmm. there's not enough of it to go around, so we've got to do it the right way.
1: When you look at the deal so far, even though a lot of it's heads, you think some of it is okay, but it's not enough, correct?
2: Is that Yeah, for small of, businesses, right? Because, right. you know, they allocated $350 billion, and if there's a million small businesses taking $350,000 each, that money's gone. Mm-hmm. Right, and exactly. then on, And on top of that, it's effectively for eight weeks. And most companies don't know what the world's going to look like. Nobody knows what right. the world's going to look like in eight weeks. And so while you might be able to retain some people on payroll, and that's a good thing, the, the idea that it's just going to be business as usual when we return is just crazy.
1: So why do you think they created this way? Just to make move and to get Wall Street in line? or
2: No, not so much to get Wall Street in line. I think the payroll protection program was because you wanted they wanted as much continuity as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, Because it's going to cost more money for people to get laid off or fired and then go on unemployment. Than it and then it would be to just keep them on, in their jobs.
1: So what do you, would you do now? So they pass this thing and you're sort of, it's okay as long as they negotiate it correctly going forward. It's sort of the thing they had to do.
2: Well, it depends on which size businesses you're talking about. Right, okay. Right. So let's
1: talk about, so the big corporations, we should get money back and right. help them and just which, help them. And, or if not, they could go to a private equity firm. You that's talking exactly about right. That.
2: And if they can't right. get money from private equity, you know, then that tells you all you need to know.
1: Right, right, right. And they should just go there if they don't like
2: the deal. Exactly, more power to them.
1: And, and how do you? How strong do you think the deal makers are who are making these deals with these?
2: Companies? I don't think Mnuchin's bad. I think mm-hmm. I think he'll get pressured though, this and that's what I don't know. Pressure
1: right? to do something
2: to give. Yeah, well, money. to just you know help this guy out, or do it for this reason, or this is my constituent, you know, mm-hmm. as a senator. So I think you should do it this way. I, I just think there'll be too much political pressure. And then the real question comes down to when that first deal is cut, are they truly mm-hmm. transparent? If right. they're not truly transparent, then then we have real problems.
1: Right. All right. So that's the big companies. What about smaller companies? First of all, protecting the payroll, which is one, you're right. People don't know because some of them were like, we've got to do it till June. A lot of these um, hotels are like, it doesn't really matter because we're not opening in June.
2: Right. Yeah. So again, for the smallest of companies, which typically is not going to include a hotel, you know, you're just buying time, you know, and we're just trying to get through some uncertainty. I don't know that it's necessarily going to solve the problem. I mean, I know it won't, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, when we start to say, okay, let's come out of this, right, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, let me take a step back. We'll know when we're not coming out of it, right? We know as long as we are where we are, the economics say it's cheaper to funnel money through small businesses, which employ half of the people in the country, right. to keep them on the payroll than it is to allow those people to get fired or laid off and go on unemployment. So even though we're just writing checks and those people are still working at home, it's a more effective version of unemployment insurance.
1: Right, so they're just, everybody's shelters in place, including employees.
2: Well, exactly right. And so then as we start to envision um, a time when we can start opening things up, Mm -hmm. the hard part isn't when do we open things up? Because I I trust and I, I presume most people do that the medicine and the science will get there, right? That we'll get a vaccine and that we'll be able to go out we don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but I trust that the science will be there. So when we start to, to explore going up, then CEOs and entrepreneurs are going to ask the question, what does you know, America 2.0 look like? What does business 2.0 look like? We don't know, mm-hmm. right? And so when it comes to supporting companies, it's going to be a complete reset. And I think the challenge for everybody is going to be agility, agility on, on the side of government in terms of where we allocate taxpayer money agility on the side of businesses you know what business am i in versus where i was agility on the side of employees do i want to continue in the you know as an employee the way i did you know pre corona or in america 2.0 can I use this as leverage, you know, create unions, you know, get paid more mm-hmm. or just stay at home just because of the way the economics are? So. Right, I
1: want to get into where you think that's going, but I want to talk about right now, relief. Really. So what should the Congress do next? They're, they're talking about another bill. What's important right now while we're just in continuity, that
2: continuity, continuity. As much as I see the Democrats wanting to do things and what they're trying to do, it, it's not that it's not necessary, but it needs to be segregated. Right. Mm-hmm. Because continuity is the key. If there's an interruption. That's when things go to hell.
1: So, what should they be doing? What is the thing they should putting in? Just continuing. These yeah, just continuing
2: with more money. Yeah, with more I money. I mean, look, the way I would have done. So, the way they chose to do it was using the the programs that are already in place. So they effectively said, we have these programs with the Small Business Administration. We're going to simplify the rules and allow banks just to offer these loans. But the way banks work is they need the application. They need to do the review. They need to stay within the realm of the laws that bankers have to deal with. I I think the better way, and if this drags on for a long time, maybe a, a different way to do it in the future, would be to allow overdraft protection. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. because when you're running your business and you're writing checks on a normal basis, Well, you don't want to have to. Yeah, you can just continue writing checks the way you always have. And as long as the bank covers you on overdrafts and you follow the rules of the PPP, meaning 75% of that is for employees and retaining your employees. And if after some period of time, you've kept all those employees, it it converts into a grant, then -hmm. everything's good. Right. right. But the way it is right now, you have to go through this entire application process and the banks have to act like banks. Right. You know, so
1: it just, just slows it down.
2: Right. And so with an overdraft protection, the banks are still going to be banks, obviously. But there's already methods in place in how they deal with the Federal Reserve, where they're, if the Federal Reserve were to increase those limits on overdrafts, then the Federal Reserve could just make them whole every day. Whereas right. with this program right now, when I talk to banks, the banks are still... They're still up in the air as to whether or not exa- how it- exactly the um, the Treasury will make the banks whole, or the SBA right, will make the protected. banks whole. Right. right? Because and, and it, what I didn't know that's interesting is after the the Great um, Recession when during the Great Recession um, the Fed and everybody was pushing banks to loan money to to companies to get everybody back and working, but then a couple of years later for the loans that hadn't been repaid. The SBA and the government decided we need to really save a lot of money. So they started nitpicking a lot of the deals that were pushed out. So now you get a lot of banks that are hesitant because they're afraid the same thing might happen again.
1: Right. That That creates its own
2: set of problems, right? And that's something that people aren't talking about, but it's, it's important, whereas the overdraft protection is more directly with the Fed, and it's a different issue.
1: And then you're just, then, then people can make their own decisions and don't have to keep going to the banks. Well, yeah, you,
2: you just don't have to go through the application process. You just have to adhere to standards. And banks already have money laundering and fraud protection already built in. And, you know, if they're deal, doing business with, business with Kara Swisher, um, then they already have a relationship and you can, they can go look at your statements and your checks to see if, make sure everything's in line. And if there's any exceptional items, just question them and stop them.
1: What about, the, let's talk about where that then that happens, how you make these decisions going forward in the economy. A lot. One thing Scott Gallo and I have been talking about is this idea that everything that was happening before just gets accelerated. You're yep. saying, what does America 2.0 look like? So retail was already on the ropes from yep. Amazon and other things. Lots of different businesses were already on the ropes or changing. There was a lot of pressure of income inequality already in the system. Now, of course, it's really shown it in stark relief. Yep. What do you think America
2: 2.0 looks like? I think we've got to learn from our mistakes. I think, you know, capitalists have got to be a lot more compassionate. You've got to look bottom up as we transition. It's got to be getting more money into the hands of employees because we see how dire things get when things go wrong. I think the key to doing that isn't just a living wage, but it's also making sure that people have the best opportunity to get appreciable assets. You know, I've always, as you know, I've always been a big fan of giving stock, giving equity to all our employees so that when things went well for me, they went well for everybody. I think we have to incent companies to do that more because as long as you're getting paid by the hour or even a salary, right, you're always going to be living paycheck to paycheck. There's just no way around it. If you buy a house, you have a chance to have appreciable assets. If you're able to invest in the market, you have a chance for appreciable assets. If you get stock in the company you work for, you have a chance for appreciable assets and that allows your net worth to increase. And that gives you a chance to have some sort of cushion when things go shitty like this is, right? So I think we have to start thinking in those terms and incenting companies to do that. That's part one. Part two is every company has got to realize that every consumer these days is a brand. And it's gonna become more like that as we go forward because everybody pretty much is on social media. And you you know, the way you portray yourself on social media is how you brand yourself and the products you want to associate with, that's what you show on social media. And if there's a company that, you know, doesn't take care of their employees, doesn't take care of their customers, is not considerate of the climate, what all these things that reflect compassion, you're not gonna your brand is gonna be dust with, with consumers for years, if not decades, people are not going to want to be associated with you. And so I think this is the opportunity with this reset for companies really to step forward. And I'll, I'll give you another example that I think we need to, to pay attention to. Like in my companies that I control, um, I wanted to know if any of my employees were on government assistance. Mm-hmm. Because to me, the worst form of socialism is when the government has got to subsidize my companies and my employees because I'm not paying them enough. Right, and so I should. I think I believe there should be negative consequences to companies who have employees who are on government assistance. It means something's not right, right? And we need to be able to track that. And so, when we talk about so a living wage,
1: what do you do then? What do you do when people are? What, what did you find out?
2: Well, what I found out, I was fortunate there were only a couple of people, and it's unique circumstances most often, mm-hmm. but we're creating all these different programs for leave, right? For sick leave, for for maternity leave, right? And this has just got to be one of the things, whatever circumstances get that person or that family into, into that situation, that's where we need to have the programs to address that, right? You are and
1: within the company.
2: Within the company, that's right. Mm-hmm. Because those programs are already starting to be put in place, right? Again, with maternity leave, with uh, you know, house leave, with sick leave, whatever it may be, you know, this is where you address it, and now's the time to do it.
1: Do you feel like this idea, I mean, I've heard it from Mark Benioff, others, is compassionate uh, capitalism. Uh Do you really think it will catch on? Because it hasn't, it has been an era where people make ungodly amounts of money compared to much of society. And in this case, they built businesses based on employees and they're not even employees that just show up and are contractors and are are suffering, whether it's a grocery worker or an Amazon delivery person or an Uber driver or whatever. We've created this sort of uh, economy that's good for some people and not so good for others, and, and this is showing the weakness of it.
2: Yeah, no question, right? But again, people are becoming smarter consumers, right? And we're branding ourselves. And there are certain businesses where, you know, the brand, the customer-facing side just doesn't matter. They're behind the scenes. And, you know, those are going to be things where it's more difficult. But especially now, we're learning that everything's becoming direct-to-consumer, mm-hmm. right? That's increasing dramatically. And any, you know, customer-facing, consumer-facing product, if they're not compassionate in, in ways that their customers appreciate, they're not going to, be, they're not going to do business with them. You're not going to see these empires built because, you know, we're just selling, we're just slinging the the cheapest shit ever, you know, and hiring people for the least amount of money possible and not putting them in good working conditions. That just can't work anymore. I mean, we see it on Shark Tank all the time. Every company that comes on has got a social component. Buy one pair of socks, we're giving away a pair of socks, whatever it may be. And that's what consumers, particularly younger consumers, are looking for.
1: But how do you look at companies like Uber and others that fought, say, AB five in California, the idea to get these
2: wrong. these drivers? They're wrong. I, you know what? In my mind, it's like a fifteen dollar or more minimum wage. As long as everybody's playing by the same rules, mm-hmm. then it'll work the way it works. You know, if they should be employees, and I recognize that impacts the business model, but that business model is as much reflective of the, the competitive nature between Lyft and Uber. As it is trying to compete with rides versus no rides, right? And so that's just the reality. Maybe one wins, maybe they merge, but whatever it is, they've got to be employees because that's effectively what they are. I mean, the the company set the rules, and yeah, they may be able to choose between you know Lyft and Uber and who are they're taking rides for, but you know you you've got to just set it on a better footing. If Pete, look. We all pay when people can't pay their bills. We all pay when people aren't healthy. We pay through it. Medical care, we pay through it through government assistance in in a thousand different ways. And it's gonna be a whole lot cheaper. Just smart capitalism, smart economics say, you know, the, the the more you lift the bottom, the easier it is for everybody and the cheaper it is for everybody to live.
1: All right. This sounds like a presidential candidate speaking, but we're going to talk about that when we get back. We're here with Mark Cuban, who needs no introduction at all. Uh, when we get back, we'll talk more about politics.
0: This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline, because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.
1: We're here with Mark Cuban. I'm not going to introduce him. Everyone knows who Mark Cuban is. So um, I, I remember when nobody did know Nobody. We just could. me. Just Swisher. Just when we would me. hang out with Brooke. You, and me and know- <laughs> I know. Brooke says hi, by the way. Um,
2: Always.
1: So anyway, talk a little bit about politics. Because a lot of what you're talking about sounds like a political candidate. And everyone has asked, I asked on Twitter what they should ask you. And everyone, of course, is asking whether you would, you know, you had dabbled in the idea of politics. And pre-Donald Trump, everyone would laugh about that, but not anymore, uh, people like you. And you have obviously have been a successful businessman in comparison. (laughs) But talk about your thoughts politically for yourself and this country.
2: Look, am I happy with the leadership? No, right. Am I happy with the alternatives? No. I mean, I think we have an issue. We're dominated by two political parties, and that's a fundamental problem. You know, I mean, they—they—they're very dogmatic. They're, everybody's become so partisan. Nobody looks to solve problems. Everybody looks to make their party happy. It's worse than sports. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? we'll
1: get to sports. We'll get to yeah.
2: sports. Yeah, so. Yeah. I mean, I just think that creates an opportunity. Now, is it most likely that I'll run? No, but since, you know, all this with the virus, things have gotten so crazy that who knows what happens going forward. So I just didn't want to shut the door.
1: So what do you mean not shut the door? What does that mean? What does the virus done that's made you rethink it?
2: Um, You never know who's going to, look what happened to Boris Johnson. You Mm -hmm. know, you just don't know who gets sick or what. I'm not suggesting anything, obviously, but I just think people's expectations of what works and what doesn't work are changing is changing very rapidly mm-hmm. you know and what people think is needed to run the company is changing very rapidly mm-hmm. and i just you know there's probably better candidates than me but you know there's it's just there Right? Yeah. And again, then the entrepreneur in me says you don't rule anything out. You don't close the door unless the door closes on you. And so, again, what would it's not be up your enough.
1: platform? What would be your platform?
2: In terms of what? If Fair you
1: way. ran, if you ran, I mean, away from.
2: Okay, so I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you some line items. So number right. one, right? So I think America 2.0 is going to be much more technologically driven. We're not going to just recreate all the things that we've had in the past. You know, companies are going to use AI. In order to reduce the number of employees, the biggest companies are going to have the biggest advantage. You're going to have AI have and have not. So one of the things I do, i put a tax on um, cloud services because that's where you know that's a way of of evaluating who's strongest in AI. So you one or two percent tax because we're going to need new tax resources. I think we need to invest in robotics. So when we talk about infrastructure, when you're recreating the past, you build. Um, you build new roads and you build bridges. And I'm not saying we don't need to reinforce what we have there, but that's not what's gonna take us into the future and allow us to compete globally and also um, build up our employment base here. So I think we need to invest in robotics. We're, We're behind China, we're behind Japan, we're behind Germany. And so I think by doing so, we can change the robotics equation so that we can bring manufacturing over here. And although it won't be a traditional assembly line like we've seen in the past, by bringing enough manufacturing over that the aggregate number of employees and the value to those employees will be greater than trying to recreate traditional um, manufacturing. I think we have to do, redo our healthcare system. I think the, the problem in how we've evaluated the healthcare system, we've always looked at how we paid for it, right? And so we're talking about single payer. We've talked about the ACA. We've never really looked at the cost function of healthcare because the reality is when you talk to hospitals, they don't know what their costs are. And when you look to see where they spend their money, it's on everything but health care. And so I think particularly now when we're going to have to invest a lot of money in hospitals and primary care, we've got to really start setting standards and how we cost out the services that hospitals and healthcare providers are offering. You know, I'm a believer that paying Medicare rates is more than enough. But if you look at different open market proponents, you know, the hospitals will tell you that's not anywhere near enough that they lose 9%. So I can go into lots of details there. And then finally, um, there's just nobody who's technologically literate that's running. You know, at the top of government, there's just nobody who really understands the impact that technology is going to have on us, whether it's precision medicine, AI, robotics, what you know, um, defense, just there's so many elements that in order for us to compete globally, in order to for us to understand where jobs are coming from, You've got to be literate in those areas, and we just don't see that at all, and that's a huge problem.
1: So one of the, you know, the past, the, one of the things of the past couple of years has been this idea of tech's damage to society in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, jobs, just what we were just talking about. Uh, whether it's fake news, um, it's allowed President Trump to just sort of do whatever he does on Twitter. It's changed the nature of political discourse. This you're talking about a tech forward idea of the world in a time when tech is not, the damage that tech has done has been clear to a lot of people
2: or worrisome. yeah, there's no question there's been damage done, but the the question becomes, what if you don't? Right. right, Because it's not like China, Japan, Germany, and other nations are standing still. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you look at Russia, Putin says, whoever controls AI controls the world. You know, China, when they put together the 30-year plan, that's specifically what they discussed. And we have, you know, minimal if any investment. If you look at what's happening now, the fact that most of our drugs are manufactured overseas and India and China have put limits on and eliminated exports on a lot of drugs that we need and we're not manufacturing them here. You know, we have programs with NIH where we're investing and then we license them to big companies. There's just so many things that technology is going to drive. So while we can talk about bad actors and issues from individual companies, it doesn't change the fact that on a macro basis, whatever America 2.0 looks like after this reset, technology is going to be the driving force. And by doing this as a country and understanding the implications, then we can deal with the individual companies, right? But if we don't understand what's going on or we don't understand what they're trying to accomplish or we just turn a blind eye to it, then, you know, it'll it'll just get worse. Those problems will accelerate and we'll continue to fall behind as a country.
1: So how does it change? Because here we are, and we're ready to have another election, and it looks like it's Trump, who is tech illiterate, and uh, Biden, who's tech illiterate. Right. And it's the same old, same old. Whether I mean, Trump may be a sort of far manifestation of the GOP. He still is. You know, it's still the same traditional way we're doing this.
2: How does that change at all? Well, that's why I keep the door open. That you know, yeah.
1: If, if, but how does it change? How do you get? How do you open the door and walk in to a situation? How do you change a a structure like that?
2: You know, that's that's going to be up to the American voters and the American right. people. They're going to have to demand it. Right. Mm-hmm. As much as I can say, hey, you know, that door is still open. It's not about me. Right. If it's not me, somebody else that's independent, somebody that can walk in and say, I'm not affiliated with either political party. So, you know, if, if whether it's me or anybody else walking in and saying, you know what, I'm not here to report to um, appoint a Democratic or um, Republican, conservative or progressive Supreme Court justice. I'm here to create balance on the Supreme Court and I'll alternate. Right. I'm not when it comes to um, filling positions within the government. I'm not gonna just put Republicans or Democrats, I'm gonna put the best person for the job, you know? Um, There's just so many ways that the American people can make demands, but we're just not, and I'm hoping, right? That as we start to approach the election and as we start to realize exactly what our country looks like, what the world looks like, maybe the American people will start making some demands that they're not currently making.
1: How do they make those demands, though? So how does it happen? Because, you know, there's, inertia is a powerful.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, Bernie Sanders started it a little bit. He just couldn't finish it. I mean, because I think he just talked to just a small segment of the population. But it, it's going to take something along the same lines. I mean, I go back to the Ross Perot days where, you know, he basically shit on both parties and said, here's where I got and went on TV, and you know, he basically got drafted. And so I think it's gonna take something similar where people say, you know what? This is, this is the person, this is the woman, this is the whatever, and you know, we want this you know, or one of several options to be considered, and something like that takes hold.
1: Yeah, we've got a, just a few months. For the I know, election. no, the
2: time is short, right? I mean, there's yeah. no question. it's not an optimal situation. And I'm not no. here to say, yeah. you know what, this is an easy no-brainer. <laughs> you know,
1: if, if I recall, another billionaire tried something. Yeah, but that was different.
2: The, yeah, that was a whole yeah. different beast, right? And yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, that's. How what,
1: do you assess that? What do you think of that? How little it caught on or it had, caught on a little bit. Yeah,
2: but he it, just though. did, you know, I, I like Mike Bloomberg, right? Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. from a positional standpoint, I didn't have any problem with it, but he had no charisma, no personality, and he didn't yeah. relate to anybody.
0: Right. You've yeah. got to
2: be sit down. You've got to be able to sit down with anybody and you've got to be you know, vulnerable at some level. You've got to admit your mistakes and your faults and just say, look, this is something we're all in together. and Let's go forward together. There is no perfect candidate. There is no perfect way to do this. The only certainty is that we have completely uncertain and imperfect information right now. So how are we all going to do this together? And Mike just didn't get that.
1: Right, right. You're 100% right. So when you think about uh, the election, and then I want to move on to another topic, how do you assess, it's November, it, the election's over, Trump wins. What does that look like?
2: Huh. I don't know. Because, I, I, you know what, put aside Donald Trump. And right. look, I'll say this and people will crush me for it. I don't think he's done a horrible job, right? I think all things considered, nobody will do a perfect job. And he, you know, he does his promotional stuff. He does his normal shtick. Right. And that's annoying. And I think it's bad and it's wrong. But for the first time ever, he got out of the way of Fauci. He got out of the way of Dr. Burks, you know, or Burks rather. And he's at least let some experts speak for the first time. And I at least have confidence that from a science and a medical perspective, we will get through this. You know, so I'm not going to just throw him under the bus for everything, but I think more then than ever, the president will have less impact than more because how we as a country respond and come out of this will, make the, will be the, of the ultimate importance, right? So who has the power
1: then? Who has the power? I
2: think individuals, consumers have more right. power than they, you know, not just consumers, citizens have mm-hmm. more power than we've ever had. The, the chance to unite, the chance to, to come together, the chance to form unions, all these unique opportunities because we're not in a traditional capitalistic, democracy um, or a democratic environment where, you know, the people at the top have the greatest impact Mm -hmm. because we're all starting over effectively, you know, and so the best ideas, the best companies are going to be created by someone who's broke, whose back is against the wall, who everybody called crazy, and Mm -hmm. we didn't see him coming, Mm -hmm. you know. So
1: your point is politics hardly, Matt, in this case the politicians aren't gonna be as critical. They're not or the noise, that, the noise they make. His noise is pretty toxic. That's, I think, one yeah, of the Yeah, no, issues. I
2: agree with that, right? I, I mean, it, there's, there's no reason to do what he does, but that's who he is, mm-hmm. right? But we spend so much time just criticizing the obvious, right? As opposed to looking forward. And this is the one time you gotta look forward, because that's where the greatest uncertainty is. We know who the president is. He is who he is. There's no surprises in anything he does, none, right? but the surprise comes from what happens next. We're going through this reset and that's who those those are the stories we need to hear. Those are the visions we need to hear about. That's the, you know whether it's a 16 year old or a 60 year old. What do you see happening the day n plus 1 day, right? The day after the doors start to open. What do you want this country to look like? Because this is going to be your greatest opportunity to make that happen.
1: All right. So when you're the n plus 1, when you're planning for it, one of the things they're talking about is what What does open look like? Now, the governors have their ideas and I think they'll probably open when they feel when they feel that the the health situation is safe. I think that's where they're pretty much have stood their ground on on that. What does opening look like? How do you look at the economy right now going forward? A lot of people want to know what would you invest in right now? Um, and, well, first, and some people think it's a great investment environment. Look, Google started out of a bad investment environment. Lots of companies have started yeah, out of a
2: Yeah, there will be great companies created. There's no question about it. Like I said, there's somebody everybody thinks is crazy right now, and they're coming up with the right way. And we'll look back in five years and say, that was so obvious. Why didn't I think of that, right? But that's the whole point, right? We don't know, you know? And so all the noise that's going to be made, there's just this is the chance for the american people just to to make it the way they want it to want to make it right what the governors say you know yes they'll they'll set the tone in terms of when we can walk outside but what we do when we get there they have no influence over you know how how we adhere to social distancing is going to be important in terms of the virus and in terms of of healthcare but in terms of what our society looks like it's going to be so much more important to see what we do as a people, right? Where do we go? How do we congregate? How do we communicate? What, what's important to us? Because hopefully a lot of what's important to us has changed.
1: What do you imagine has changed and what hasn't? Some part of me is like, they're gonna, everyone's gonna go right back to licking phone poles soon enough, you know, or, or whatever it is they like to do. You know what I mean? Like yeah. congregating, going to party. I don't think that everyone's like, suddenly everyone's gonna be at the off, not at the office. I don't think that's the case. I don't think people are suddenly loving. No, but home. you know
2: what? They're, they. This is the first time all of us have been stuck at home for more yes. than a month, right? Right. And right. it's not so much that what we're doing is going to reflect what we will do, but all the things that we can think of and all the the, the visions we have, of the way we'd like them to be, this is the first time we've really got the chance to think about those things, right? And realize that you know all those Zoom calls we're making and all those you know group chats, all the things that we hope will happen, maybe we can do them, right? Why not? you know? And so I think the difference now versus them, yeah, there'll be some things we want to get back to usual. You know, we want to be able to travel. We want to be able to go to concerts or games and have fun and go to parties and swim and drink and all that. Vegas is going to be off the hook, right? The debauchery, <laughs> the debauchery is going to you be there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. But at the same time, you know, where we work, how we work and what we expect when we go to work can and should change.
1: So what should change from, from your perspective through this in the short time we've been doing this?
2: You know, I think just the fact that everyday workers, the people who traditionally have been at the bottom, now have more power than they've ever had. Even though there's going to be a lot of unemployment and some people will think, well, you know, I just got to take whatever job, there'll be some truth there. But what you get, you know, what you can ask for and those jobs will change because not everybody's going to be willing to do the same things. And again, I think unions have a chance to just see a huge resurgence, companies, I think we should increase the minimum wage to at least fifteen dollars. Any things that, as long as everybody plays by the same rules, that allows everybody to prosper is not the right word, but just have some confidence in their lives and the ability to pay their bills. I guess I'm, I'm talking a little bit in circles, but the reality is, I think workers are going to have more power. And if workers you look, yeah, okay. and if you look at disadvantaged communities, right, they're taking the greatest hit, but they're they're going to have unique opportunities as well because now. There's so much buying power, there's so much consumerism in disaffected communities that it's going to, I think they're going to look more locally than nationally. You know, big companies, the big retailers have been crushed, right? So many of the traditional ways of doing business have changed and have been set back. That those companies aren't going to be able to invest in the, the disadvantaged communities, which is going to open the door for people who are part of those communities to really be innovative and, and create and get investments and, and start companies that, you know, build on sweat equity. I think there's, there's going to be so many huge opportunities for people to take advantage of where we didn't see them before.
1: What being innovative, one of the things I, you know, talked about a lot is the fact that we were innovative as a people early on. You know, farmers or farmers are entrepreneurs. Lots of different, lots of different jobs are entrepreneurial. But in general, the entrepreneurism has been shaken out of the U.S. worker in a lot of ways. How do you get that back? In terms of what needs to happen in education, what needs to happen? From, from your perspective to get people to recognize those
2: opportunities? I think we just need to reduce some of the friction, right? Because, yeah, when you look at the numbers, there's fewer startups, but a lot of yeah. those were, you know, sole proprietorships. You became a barber, you became a plumber, right? right? And those things are just harder to do on your own. And a lot of it's just because there's a lot of paperwork Right. There's a lot of costs associated, you know, there's just a lot of overhead. And I think we can simplify that. So if you want to be a barber, you can just go be a barber. You don't have to get 20 hours, you know, or 200 hours of licensing. You know, like like I think Louisiana requires that to be a shampooist. I mean, there's just crazy things that are out there. But I, I, I still think the entrepreneurial spirit is there. I mean, you know, you and I started together with the Internet when people didn't know what the Internet was. But there were always a million ideas. You know, and then with apps, it didn't take a lot of money to create an app. And then there were millions of apps. And so I think maybe ambient computing, there's a lot of opportunities there with voice-based computing. You know, there's, there's just going to be whoever the entrepreneurs are, you know, I can, I can try to throw out a hundred different ideas of where I might start businesses if I was starting all over again. Just throw me a, throw like, me a couple. Like if I was 17 or 18, right, I'd start a business, you know, becoming an Alexa expert right? Just going around setting up things. So, business, so look at it this way. So when you walk into a business for the first time again, after things open up, every company is going to try to reduce the number of touch points, the physical touch right. points. Sure. And, I'm, and I'm already talking to our folks, okay, how can we eliminate physical touch points? Ambient voice-based computing, it's huge. Mm-hmm. In your right. house as well, right? I mean, if you use Alexa, you get used to just walking in, but I bet you don't know how to program it or do anything with it. And there's a hundred things you know you can do that you can't do. Right, So if I was a kid, I'd be learning um, Alexa and Google at home scripting, um, Cortana scripting and going to business to business door to door and saying, you know, 25 or 30 bucks an hour, this is what I'll do for you. You know, I'll help you create all those. Um, I'd be doing, I'd be in the scrubbing business, right? Sterilization (laughs) business, right? Um, I'd be creating AR apps so that, you know, people, when they go into public places, if, if you're going with your mom to a public bench, and you want to know when the last time it was cleaned or sanitized or who was there before you. An AR app just pointed at the bench and it gives you all the data, all the latest data. That kind of, kind of thing is easy to create. Um, so, AR bench. Yep. Yeah, and so things like labeling for AI, you know. Mm-hmm. You know so in terms of um, put aside entrepreneurs, but in terms of jobs of the future, right? Mm-hmm. Things like um, I think there's going to be a lot of federal jobs that should be created for tracking down um, all the viruses, right? And so not just testing, but also tracing. And so we're going to need 250,000, a million or more tracers, not just for this virus, but to track anything that comes into the country. Otherwise, we're never going to be able to open up borders or all, at all.
1: Or understand what happens. Or, or understand, the right.
2: Or preempt what happens in the future. You right. know, AmeriCorps does a lot of good things where they're putting people into jobs as crossing mm-hmm. guards or reading to kids. We're going to need those, I don't want to call them make work, but those types of jobs where people come in. And then from there, you'll see entrepreneurs blossom as they understand new types of jobs um, or new types you, you of opportunities. You have opportunity. mentioned so,
1: climate change tech. It's something I like to talk about. This.
2: No, I think climate, you know what? Um, it, that's going to be enormous. But, but that takes a lot of money, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. so in terms of sequestration and removal and you know, finding places to, to bury everything, I mean, to me, you know, I'm, I'm relatively confident that that's what's going to solve the problem. You know, and the other thing we learned too, if it doesn't solve the problem, now we know how to quarantine, you know, and and you're seeing all the impact on on air quality um, and the data that's going to come out of this is going to be incredible and, and, you know, very informative and that'll guide us in a lot of areas there as well.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. All right. We're here with Mark Cuban. When we get back, we're going to talk sports. We're going to talk media. We're going to talk all kinds of things. I noticed you didn't mention space, which is why I love you. Anyway, <laughs> uh, when we that's get back, I, I'm so happy. Anyway, we're here with Mark Cuban. When we get back, we'll talk more. So we're here with Mark Cuban. We've talked about a lot of stuff. President Mark Cuban, I'm so excited huh. to serve in his administration. Yeah. I'll be director What, what job do B- you want? Uh, Secretary of the Navy. There you
2: um, go. Perfect for no, you.
1: I do a better job than that idiot who screamed at the sailors. Anyway, my dad was in the Navy, actually. So was mine. Yeah, he he, he died right as he left the Navy, which was sad. But um, talk a little bit about sports right now. So okay. you own a sports team, I understand. Yeah, it's called the Dallas sports Mavericks. It's,
2: it's a basketball team. I understand team, it's
1: basketball. Thank oh. you. I'm, as, I, as I always tell people, I'm the only lesbian who doesn't know anything about sports. So <laughs> um, So talk about the impact on sports. I'm the only one who doesn't care that it's not playing right now, but everybody else does. I get the, I get the business aspects, the community aspects, the enjoyment. Aspects. What happens to sports now? Uh, all of them,
2: I mean, all the balls. We, the games will still be played. It's just a question yeah. of when. It's just a question yeah. of when can you keep the players and, and the people involved safe. you know? And once we get to that point, we'll start by playing for no crowds and just making it a made-for-TV event. And then hopefully as we gain confidence, we start playing in front of crowds.
1: Right, and so what? How do you think uh, sports is handled? Obviously, some of them, some of the early coronavirus cases, was that one basketball player and others. What do you need to do to change it? And what has been the impact? Obviously, money you don't have, like there's all, everything is comes off of sports too. Right. All the different well, of course,
2: things. the impact was great because that night when they canceled the season, it made it real for everybody. Um, I mean, it, it hit home, and obviously, it hit me hard too because we were playing at the time. But I think. You know, putting aside the economics, we need sports. We need something to cheer for. We're cooped up. We want something to yell about. Even the non-sports fan, you know, when the Warriors won, you knew about the parade. You could feel the energy. When the Mavs won a championship, the city's on fire, the whole, all of North Texas. And so we need that to cheer for it. I mean, unfortunately the Olympics aren't going to take place, but imagine if, you know, The US Olympic team was an underdog against China or Russia. It doesn't even matter the sport. It could be curling and we were taking on Canada, you know, the number one team in the world. Everybody would be fired up. We don't have that right now. We just don't have that communal element where everybody gets to be excited and cheer for something. And so literally, once we can deal with it um, from a health perspective, I think the NBA in particular has got a moral obligation to get back to playing as soon as we can, just to give people something to get excited about.
1: Is there anything being discussed now? Or are you just, what are you waiting for? I science. mean, everyone's sort of- Yeah, science. science. So what, what, what will be what will be science for you? What, what just, Who do I'm, you- Who do you all take your cues from?
2: Who are you going to take your cues from? You know, all the leading epidemiologists. I mean, I don't want to speak for the commissioner, Adam Silver, but we're talking to everybody. You know, all the information is imperfect right now, but I think, you know, the inflection point will be when somebody truly announces a therapy and says, you know what, this works in X percent of the cases. You know, whether it's hydrochloroquine or whoever knows what, right? Um, Where people can have confidence that if you get this, then it's not a death sentence or you're not gonna get very, very sick. And then same with the vaccine, where, you know, we have hopefully the same efficacy as a as a flu shot, right? Once you start getting those things in place and that gives people confidence that again, this isn't, you know, it's not nearly as bad or as comparable to the flu, then things start opening up.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you have, you have a vac- vaccination probably it will be where it's safest, but something yeah. has to happen before then because it takes so long.
2: Well, yeah, the vaccine, obviously, but there's going to be therapies, there'll be prophylactics that can either preempt right. it or, you know, if you get sick, help you, help you deal with it.
1: Right. Are you nervous about opening up and then having to close up again? Is yes, that something absolutely.
2: All, I'm terrified of yeah. the fact that, you know, if, all, if there's all this pressure from people wanting to go back to work and from my employees saying, but we want to go back and me telling them, no, you can't do that you know because i just don't want that just in my soul right that i so said somebody so you
1: else. yourself as a business owner are going to be conservative
2: oh yeah okay. absolutely and look right. i'm in a different position i'm i'm really fortunate financially so i don't i don't feel the same level of stress that others mm-hmm. may and so i understand it, it it'll be a much more difficult Um, decision for that small wedding planner, right? You know, every wedding's been postponed and wanting to get out there and get ahead of your competition to put those weddings on. And, you know, just those types of circumstances, it's going to be a lot of pressure. And just the math is the math, right? And if we get people out there too soon and it's not the right way because we don't fully understand it, then, yeah, we'll get We'll see a resurgence and it'll be unfortunate.
1: All right. Do you have any estimates yourself right now? You just don't know. There's no
2: point. Yeah, there's no point of guessing.
1: Um, what about in terms of, of sports changing? What do you see? Here you are a sports owner. It, you already were a Maverick sports owner, so what do you imagine that changing?
2: I mean, in terms of the actual playing of the game, not a lot. You think
1: we're just going to go back? Yeah, to I mean, to, yeah, yeah, I think
2: other than the crowds, it'll be pretty much, I mean, yes, yeah, seasonality, right? So maybe we don't start the same date. The, the NBA typically started, you know, right before Halloween. Maybe we started Christmas and play into the summer, but those, you know, are just nuances.
1: And what about you know you were used to be involved in cinema landmark and things like that how do you see that coming it's back that was a already lot. Well, that's already was changing, yeah. right? The, yeah. the, the, the ability you know, to people, go to I mean,
2: look, people get cabin fever. You don't want your 16-year-old or your 17-year-old, in your case, you know, going to movies. In, right. In, or they
1: don't go anywhere. Well, no, they I mean,
2: don't. I said, there were, you know, you don't want them Netflix and chilling. As You'd rather see them go to a theater, right? Yeah, they, they don't
1: could. go to theaters. Yeah. It doesn't matter.
2: I mean, my, like my 16-year-old daughter will go now and then. But what I think will happen will be that you'll see a consolidation. You'll see a lot of theaters closing and that the number of theaters will fall from 4,500 or whatever it is, maybe to 2,500, which will mean all those locations will be more profitable, but the scale for movies in terms of um, their gross revenues, their box office won't be as high, so you'll see a shortening of the windows. You, know, you've, you saw some testing of that with Trolls. We tested it when we with Magnolia and Access and um, Landmark 15 years ago, and it worked then. It's just you know, the theater lobby had so much power, I think that will will be diminished some, hundred percent. And then part two to that is, you'll start to see Disney and others acquire those theater chains because then you're vertically integrated, and so you don't have the windowing as an issue.
1: So you can just pick whenever you want to put. Stuff and that's the way, the way it should be. Yeah. Side. Yeah. Yeah. I'm first. waiting for them to do one of the big summer movies online. I mean, they don't think they have made decisions yet. Well, I mean, I'd love
2: to see. Yeah. You, of course, we'd love to see it. But I mean, and I think you will, like you saw with Trolls. But you mm-hmm. know, it's a death sentence to the theaters if you do that.
1: Absolutely. But I want to see Top Gun too. So I just, that's just going to have to there happen. All right. I'm going to ask some questions from, I've got tons of people online. Let me ask a couple questions and then we'll finish up. This is Hal uh, uh, Beresford. We'd love to hear him talk about what he sees are competitive advantages in different regions of the country. We hear about the coasts all the time. What about other places?
2: I think, you know, different cities, different states have different cultures, right? And things that are important to them. I think everyone's got its own unique elements. I mean, you know, here in Dallas, it's a tax-free state, and so that creates a, a significant advantage. If you go through the center of the go through the center of the country, I think the work ethics a little bit different. The unemployment rates are lower for a reason, and so you can find people from large public universities that are willing to stay there and work. And I think that that helps when you're starting up a company. I'm not a fan of working on the coast, right? You and I have talked about right. that before. Yes, you, you, you know, and Steve
1: Case. Yeah,
2: yeah. I'm I'm not. I try to avoid companies in the Valley, and I try to avoid companies in New York. I just think they have a different attitude. It's more, you know, what's in it for me, as opposed to we're all in this together and let's build a company. And I think that attitude through the Midwest also is, you know, pervasive that let's do this together and build a company. All
1: right, that's great. Uh, This is, uh but this is, you would just ask it, well, one, of the, one, of the, one of the fang dive in here on distressed AMC and try to reshape things. That was the idea of one of the, you were saying Disney
2: yeah. might
1: buy a theater chain, yeah. but you, did you see any of the Googles, Amazons? Amazon would be yeah. one of the- Yeah,
2: I mean, anything that makes you vertically integrated, you know, yeah. because, and and we didn't touch on this, but content is going to be a whole different beast going forward mm-hmm. because production is shut down.
1: Well, yeah, and also it's, it, people are getting used to not as good, um, Thing. They're, they're, they're consuming stuff without as good quality of uh, Well, you're, you're,
2: well, you're trying to burn time, right? Yeah. yeah. But right, there's always Shark right. Tank on Friday nights. Great yeah. shows, original <laughs> episodes. Uh, well, you
1: ha- do you have content? You're not taping now, right? No, but or we taped so a- many
2: episodes, and we yeah. got delayed, and so we moved to Friday night. So we're now back on Friday night, so we have a bunch of um, new episodes coming up. Um, no, you do. Yeah.
1: But you have to make some new ones. How are yeah, we you going to do that? And we will.
2: Yeah, once once the doors is open, we can you could all them wear
1: hazmat suits. <laughs> yeah, that'll
2: make in. it even more interesting. Or but, or
1: have just all like coronavirus technology or something.
2: Like oh, that. I'm sure we'll do specials on that. But, you know, yeah. the bigger point is there's nobody creating anything right now. And so right. on one hand that's great for sports. So when we go back, you're going to yeah, see these fresh. companies because the second part of having lack of content is churn rate, right? Because <laughs> Once you get through everything, you're gonna go on to the next um, service because you've seen anything and there's gonna be this void of actually new content coming on. And so where sports fills in, you know, we've got 82 games plus playoffs. We effectively now are year round content. And so that's why I think we'll start to see some of these streaming services want to do deals with professional sports or even collegiate sports because it's going to be it'll it'll fill that void and you know there's demand there. So that's part one. Part two is you know not having that production is going to make it tough on the movie theaters. You know, you know there's just going to be empty time and that also is going to lead to a lot of the consolidation.
1: That's a fair point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean well there is a backup of stuff that have to get out then if they hold it back. For where like, though? Right. Well you've got some movies that we're supposed to premiere, and that they've not. But not that's
2: premiered. how many, right? That's how many, right? Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. There's some big ones like Mulan. But there's going to yeah. Moment. But
2: there's going to be that hole where mm-hmm. you know, eighteen months from
1: three yeah, months ago, right? Th- that, that yep, where they would 100%. be that.
2: Yeah. So that's going to create a lot of challenges for the entertainment industry. Um, that will also play. Especially create a- theaters. Exactly. Theaters.
1: Okay. All right. I'd like to know uh, this is Brianna Wu. I'd like to know if that was his Porsche 959 in the Billions cameo and if you actually drive it.
2: No, no, and no.
1: No. <laughs> um, okay, Avi Horowitz, what he sees on the horizon for changes that are need to coming in the digital advertising targeting space via social networking. What solutions would you like to see push developed government regulation? Also, his thoughts on the Apple Google contact tracing.
2: Okay, well, let's work back from contact tracing. Right, it's a good idea, but it's opt in, right? And because it's opt in, it's going to have its own set of challenges, right? What What I'm more excited about, but also concerned about, is Nobody realizes that Google Maps tracks everything. I do. No, I do, because I use it, right? (laughs) I want to know where I've been, right? It's a great service for me. And you can also share. And so Mm -hmm. some smart entrepreneur is going to say, you know what, here's a Google email account, you know, karaswisher at gmail.com. Just add me, and then I'll run it through this AI, and we'll be able to work backwards to tell you the locations where you'll be most at risk. And so I don't know that the contact tracing is going to be all that important. But part three to that is that, um, for businesses, using beaconing and an app like that and low-power Bluetooth, businesses are going to want to know if somebody's infected that's coming in, right? Sure. Or somebody who's been in contact, particularly in, in group environments. And so I think you'll see a lot of low-power beaconing where it's, it's not so much me and you having our Apple um, Google app, but it'll be a business getting that alert that goes to their security system, hey, this person is coming in and we have reason to believe based off of whether it's a tracing app or something else, that we have to be more observant.
1: Are you worried about the privacy elements of that? Or you yeah, like, no, I
2: am. I mean, I mean Scott McNeely, McNeely always says, you have no privacy, get yeah. over it, right? And I agree with that. Says a su- lot.
1: He says a lot of things. Yeah, he does, I
2: love Scott. But in any event, um, I'm more worried about labeling, right? Where you get labeled as having this or not having that, and that extends into other things. It's one thing to say you have the antibodies or not antibodies, have the disease, don't have it. But once you go there, where do you stop?
1: Right, 100%. What about the digital advertising targeting?
2: The digital advertising, I'm not necessarily concerned about that because I look at it as a convenience item. And so, yeah, they get my information, but you know, I've, I've never, it's, it's weird sometimes when things you just bought or looked at show up in an ad right away. But if I was walking in the store and they noticed I was wearing a certain brand and a salesperson walked up to me with that brand, I wouldn't freak out, yeah, so I'm not I know, it's weird.
1: So do you, you think tech regulation is sort of on the back burner now? Yeah, I think it
2: is. Yeah. yeah, and I think tech actually becomes our friend because we realized all the shortcomings of America Inc. Not two point, but we've, the shortcomings of America Inc. And the reality is we need tech because we've invested so little in AI and robotics and precision medicine that most of our brain power, no, most of the knowledge on those subjects is embedded in tech, right? Google, Amazon, et cetera, spent far more than we do as a nation on AI. And if AI is going to be the driver of the future, if we break those companies up, we push ourselves back as a country in terms of competing with China and Russia.
1: All right. That's their argument. So Mark Mark Zuckerberg, redemption.
2: All right, then. I mean, it is what it is. We are where we are, right? Had this not happened, it'd be a completely different conversation.
1: Yeah, they like they put out a lot of press releases, though. Yeah, they do. Um, Yeah, they do. Um, Do you feel the U.S. can sustain a vibrant entrepreneurial culture if our, this is from Juliana Clegg, if our leaders move towards a more European model of safety net plus worker support, for example, Germany's model of pushing 80% of paycheck money to workers, UK now too, ditto healthcare expansion. I think so, obviously.
2: Yeah, I do too. I think we can deal with that. Like I said, as long as the rules are the same for everybody, I'd rather, you know, where we are right now, I wasn't a fan of the 80% um, payroll protection. I was a fan of just the overdraft protection, which would be 100% um, plus everything else, right? So that's the difference. But um, again, higher minimum wages, more services. I think that's a good thing. As long as everybody plays by the same rules and it's not different from community to community or state to state, then we're still gonna be entrepreneurial because that's who we are as a country.
1: All right. Next question is about your sports games. When they come back, will there be screening at your sports events? I don't know. Uh, I
2: don't know. That's what the scientists are going to tell us.
1: And then but you will do them if that's
2: uh, Well no, I'll the case. do I'll I'll do whatever's safest, right? So yeah. I'm I'm gonna defer um I'm gonna default to whatever is the safest. And if they tell me that it works then as long as I don't have reason to believe otherwise, then I'll do it.
1: But you wouldn't require testing for people to attend your... I I mean,
2: look, if there was a simple... I I don't want to say... It's all hypothetical, right? Yeah. I'm going to let the science guide me.
1: Okay, all right. Uh, I don't know what this question means. Beverly McCaffrey, why are you with Kevin O'Leary? The, Why am I with Kevin
2: O'Leary? Cuz he's it, fun yeah. to hang out with. No. I, <laughs> all right. Okay. I work I don't with know him. What that
1: means. Okay, all right. Okay. He once said on how I built this, if I if he lost his wealth and had to start over, he'd start over in sales role. How, does this hold true in the current climate? What advice does he have for people facing that reality yes. now, Allison?
2: Yeah. Cantor, if you're a salesperson, you always have a job. And when okay. companies come back and the, they're going to be looking for sales then more than ever. If you can sell, you will always always have a job. But like I said earlier, if I was starting something up, I'd do the ambient computing with voice and use that, do that during the evening and, and sell during the day.
1: All right, just a couple more, Mark. Uh, Matt from California, please ask if he's concerned with the national debt. Why or why not?
2: Yeah, of course I am. But we're going to find out about MMT, you know, the, the, that economic theory and, and how much debt we can absorb. Um, no one knows. This is the ultimate experiment. And, you know, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, this is exactly what economists will be writing about. Whatever whatever plays out, this is what we'll learn. Are, do you have any predictions? Great Depression? Worse? You don't know. Don't know. I, I I mean, we're resilient and we're agile, and I think, you know, I think ten years from now we're out of this. Five years from now we're probably out of this. Three years from now, we're we're probably coming out of it. All right. Couple more. Just three more. That's okay. UBI from Kevin. UBI? No, I'm not a fan. Um, because? I I just think there's better ways to utilize the money where it's needed. And I think, we try, like I said, I'd rather pay people more and get them to the point where there's a living wage so people don't have to worry about how they're going to pay their bills. And I think that's the goal of UBI, just to make people not have to be concerned about how they're going to take care of things the next day or take care of things for their family. Okay, two and more questions. And I will questions. say this, this is a Kara Swisher type thought. Uh, um, uh, quantitative, easing, quantitative easing, you know, all these low yeah. pushing rates, that's UBI yeah. for rich people and <laughs> seriously and that this is where we get a lot of the income inequality so where i'm right. concerned is if we keep interest rates down too low for too long as we come out of this mm-hmm. then it's easy money for me because it just props up. right it props Agreed. up assets that are volatile and can appreciate and people at the bottom don't own those assets so exactly so if yeah. we're going to do quantitative do easing we've got to do quantitative easing for the the lowest communities and who knows what that is, right? So if there's some assets that, that, that the Fed can buy from somebody that otherwise has nothing, that's what I want mm-hmm. to learn about Right,
1: that's a very good point. That's an, that, that is a Cariswisher thing. All right, this is from Miles Farnsworth. He's been optimistic about a liberal arts education in the past. Has the virus changed your thoughts, his thoughts no. on that or high ed in general? No,
2: no, so two, two questions there. One, I'm a big fan of liberal arts because of artificial intelligence. In order for artificial intelligence to work, the data has to be right. Right, And you have mm-hmm. to have people mm-hmm. who have domain knowledge and a lot of different things. If you're gonna have a chat bot that deals with Shakespeare, you gotta have people who know Shakespeare. And so that's why I think liberal arts majors will be continue to be important because AI is gonna touch everything. That's part, part one. Part two, universities are fucked.
1: Mm-hmm. Right? Yes, colleges,
2: yes, 100%. colleges are just upside down right now. Their primary customers that paid the most, um, international customers, that paid full retail and tuition room and board, gone. Right. Mm -hmm. Gone. Now, if you're a student, you're not going to just go borrow money. Your parents aren't going to just go guarantee that borrowing. You're going to have to reevaluate everything. And schools are starting to tell kids and put outside put put aside the Ivy Leagues because they have endowments that solve a lot of these problems. But for public universities in particular and lower end um, universities, um, private universities, you know, if you're telling people to work online, what's the point of being there? You know, and if families have less money, you know, you're not going to borrow. And so you literally could see universities shrink, even though there's $50 billion set aside for them. They need to shrink. I mean, there's no reason that an administrator is making $200,000 when a TA is making $8 an hour. Yeah, 100%. I
1: think about it. With my kid going to school, I'm like, why? Why, why? right? So this why don't way? you
2: go to a community college, transfer your credits, or go to Coursera and and, and just play out of your or um, test out for your credits? The universities are in really bad shape going forward.
1: The social elements are the only part. Yeah, you, you want to
2: go for the football. Yeah, and they You know what? Not just the socialization yeah. of becoming an adult. You know, right? sororities right and fraternities. They're going to have issues at least initially, mm-hmm. right? So there's yeah. going to be so many things that get turned upside down. I don't think
1: they're going back to college in the fall. I don't think anyone's
2: going back to college. I don't don't see why they would.
1: Yeah, I think people are, they're going to just close them. Okay, two more quick questions. Is professional wrestling really an essential service? Yes. (laughs) Linda McMahon gets in there, whatever. Okay, (laughs) uh, uh, (laughs) um, are you, I'd like, uh, Jen, I'd like to know if he's hiring. And Um, then I have one last question. Some of my
2: companies are hiring, but go to markcuban.com and you can connect to the different companies.
1: All right, and last one, uh, Benjamin Leeson, skills and mindsets needed in this new world.
2: Agility, resilience, things aren't gonna be what you expect, but you can have an idea that just turns the world around. You know, Kara, you and I have seen it, the PC revolution, the networking revolution, the internet revolution, the mobile computing revolution, the cloud Mm -hmm. computing revolution. There's so many companies built around those things, started with no money, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, just sweat equity. There's going to be 10 times as many now because everything's a reset. Everything is being redone. And I say it all the time. When we look back in 10 years, there'll be 25 companies that we look at and say, you know what? It seems so obvious now. Why didn't I think of that?
1: All right. That's a great way to end. I'm just curious if if, if you appearing on your daughter's TikTok videos has been
2: good for your career. It's been great for my career because anything <laughs> that makes my 16-year-old daughter happy is good for me. <laughs> well,
1: you're a pretty good dancer, yeah, pretty I appreciate good. It I'm that. only
2: Cuban on <laughs> TikTok. Follow me now. All, right. All <laughs> right.
1: Okay. All right, Mark, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This has been a great uh, hour and and I really appreciate it. Again, Mark Cuban, he needs no uh, introduction, but I will give him one. He's uh, he does everything pretty much. Is there anything you don't do, Mark? I'm um, sorry.
2: When any? it comes to you, Kara, I'll do anything you ask.
1: All right. Thank you, Mark, for coming on the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Kara Swisher. My executive producer, Eric Anderson, is at Erica America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. Mark, where can people find you online? M oh, Cuban. On, I'm
2: Cuban everywhere. Every platform. Everywhere. Snapchat, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. You name Instagram,
1: it. Instagram, TikTok. Go watch him dance. It's great. If you like uh, this episode, you really even though the Chinese are keeping it quiet, you know, keeping. A file on you. That's That's fine. You dancing. Yeah. If you like this episode, we really appreciate it if you share it with a friend. And make sure to check out our other podcasts, Pivot, Reset, Recode Media, and Land of the Giants. Just search for them in your podcasting app of choice or tap the link in the show notes. Thanks also to our editor, Joel Rabbe. Special thanks to Squadcast.fm. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back here on Wednesday. Tune in then.